Good morning, Vista family. Thank you for choosing to uh, join us for worship this morning, wherever you are uh, listening from or watching from. As always, we're really glad that you've chosen to make Vista a part of your, part of your Sunday. I also just want to say thank you for being flexible. Um, our leadership met yesterday, and we kind of went back and forth on whether we should have services today at our building or not. Um, I've lived here 25 years, and this is the coldest I ever remember it getting here in Central Texas. We weren't really sure about the precipitation on the roads, and so we just thought we would err on the side of caution and not have a bunch of people driving up to our building. Um, and so thanks for being flexible. Uh, I also wanted to go ahead and mention before we get into our text this morning, on Wednesday, we are planning to have two Ash Wednesday services. Now, if you've looked ahead at the forecast, you might know that there's also a pretty good chance of some freezing precipitation on Wednesday as well. So I just say that to you to say, we may end up doing our Ash Wednesday services virtually as well. If you'll stay tuned into our social media accounts, we'll get the word out through email and every other means we possibly can, and we'll make that call a little bit later. As of right now, our plan is to still have two Ash Wednesday services. One way or another, we will be having those services, and we hope that you'll join us for that as we sort of kick off our Easter season with Ash Wednesday. This morning, we are in Luke chapter 11. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke. Um, as Austin mentioned last Sunday, uh, we find ourselves in the second part or the second leg of this journey. Back in chapter 9, it says that Jesus turned his face or set his face towards Jerusalem. And so Jesus, has, he's beginning a, a rather long journey, um, about a two-month journey from Galilee up north down to Jerusalem in the south. And ultimately, he's going to Jerusalem where he's going to give up his life on a cross for the salvation of all mankind. It's the purpose for which he came. And so Jesus is beginning to make that trek uh, down to Jerusalem. Where we find ourselves in chapter 11 is Jesus is talking about prayer. Um, his disciples, they want to know how to pray. And so Jesus is going to, going to talk to them about prayer. And so we're actually only going to look at four verses this morning. Um, but there's some really important content that, that, that is in these four verses. And so I'll, I'll jump right in. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John, that's John the Baptist, taught his disciples. Okay? So Jesus' disciples, they wanted to know, they wanted to know how do we pray like you pray? Um, how do we do that? Maybe you're here and you've maybe, maybe you've been a Christian, you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, and this might be a question you have as well. How do I pray? What is prayer supposed to look like? How do I be consistent in my prayers, okay? Jesus' own followers asked him that question. And in response, what we're going to see is Jesus, um, he, he basically says a prayer. He gives them a model prayer to pray. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. In Luke's Gospel, it's actually sort of a, a condensed version of the Lord's Prayer. The full version can be found in Matthew's Gospel. Some people ask, why is Matthew's Gospel a little bit longer and, and Luke's is so much shorter? And um, one of the reasons may just be that Matthew was written first um, and Luke was aware of Matthew's gospel. And so he just chose to sort of give the sweet and condensed version of the prayer instead of the full version. Either way, it's still really short. And even in these few verses of this prayer, we can learn a lot about God, about who he is, his character, his nature. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to unpack that just a little bit. Before we uh, kind of break that down, though, 
I wanted to just say a few things um, to kind of preface this idea of prayer. You know, for a lot of people, prayer is really confusing. Uh, people believe some different things about prayer, about the purpose of prayer, the point of prayer, the reason why we pray. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, there are some theological camps that would say, well, if God is completely sovereign um, and everything is sort of chosen and God's will is going to be accomplished no matter what, then, uh, then why do we pray? I mean, is prayer even going to make a difference? Then some on the other side say, well, if God is not sovereign, if God, you know, lays aside some of his sovereignty or God doesn't intervene in, in people's lives, then why do we pray? Are we not asking God to violate a principle that we've kind of said based on our theology, he shouldn't or doesn't do. And so you see what I'm saying? Like people on, in different theological camps can sort of question the point or the purpose or the reason for prayer. And the point of this sermon this morning is really not to even get into, into that. Here's what I can tell you based on, based on what we just read, even in verse, in verse one. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed regularly. He prayed often. Jesus prayed like it mattered. And he prayed like prayer was really, really important. And he instructed his followers to do the same. And so really, whatever theological camp you're in, and if you, you, know, you, can, you can have those debates about the point and the purpose, and, and listen, that's fine. But at the end of the day, if you're a follower of, of Christ, then we pray because prayer should be an important part of our lives. In its very simplest form, prayer is us communicating with God. It's us connecting to God. The primary way that God connects, God communicates to us is through his word. It's not the only way, but it's the primary way that God communicates to us is through his word. The primary way we communicate to God then is through prayer. And so prayer was really important to Jesus. Prayer should be really important to us, okay? Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention before we get into the prayer is it's important what Jesus said, but it's also important what Jesus didn't say. So you'll notice in response to the question, Jesus, he doesn't say anything about, you know, the place of prayer. He doesn't say the prayer needs to take place in the tabernacle or the synagogue, you know, the temple. He doesn't say anything about the time of prayer. You know, there, there are some religions that would say prayers need to be at a specific time. Some would say prayers should be first thing in the morning or last thing before you go to bed. Jesus doesn't mention the times of prayer. In fact, Jesus prayed at a lot of different times. Jesus doesn't say anything about the posture of prayer. Well, should I bow my head and close my eyes? Should I fold my hands? Should I get down on my knees? Can I pray standing up with my hands in the air? What's the posture? You know, again, some religions believe you gotta, you gotta uh, be on your knees. You gotta face a certain direction. There's a lot of different people that believe different things about the posture of prayer, but Jesus doesn't mention anything about that in regards to prayer. Jesus doesn't say anything really about even the purpose or the point of prayer other than to connect and talk to God. He also doesn't go into a discourse on the different types of prayer, you know. I've read some different books or blogs on prayer and, you, you know, there's, there's different types. And so Jesus doesn't go into, you know, a Bible college or seminary course on, you know, whether prayers, you know, is it, is it, is it intercession? Is it, is it confession? Is it thanksgiving? Is it prayers of adoration? Is it... There's all different types of prayer. He doesn't even really talk about the types of prayer to his disciples. He just gives them this really brief prayer and says, this is how you're to pray. And what I want you to notice as we get into the prayer is that 
this short, brief, really concise prayer seems to be more about connecting his followers to the God they're praying to than about prayer itself. I don't know, maybe the, maybe the secret to prayer is less of a focus on prayer itself and more of an understanding and a focus on the God that we pray to. That seems to be the focus of the Lord's Prayer here according to Luke. And so what I want to do is just sort of jump in and, and really break the prayer down and see what we learn about God. What can we know about God from, from this particular prayer? Okay, so the very first uh, verse two says, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father, let me stop right there. You can see why we're only covering a few verses, right? Father, man, the first thing is that God is a father. This is so important that we, that we get this in prayer. This is the primary way that God reveals himself in scripture is as a father. Now, the idea of God being a personal father, um, that was a foreign idea, that was a foreign concept up until Jesus comes along. In all of the Old Testament, so 39 books of the Old Testament, okay, covering a span of several thousand years of human history, very rarely do we ever see God addressed as Father. Very few times. And the few times we do see Him addressed as Father, it's always in a national sense. So the people of Israel, the uh, national sense, they would consider God as their, their father overall, but there was never a concept of God being a personal father. And then Jesus comes along, and on 60 different occasions, Jesus refers to God as father, and he says that we should as well. Man, until Jesus comes along, there was really not a concept of God being our personal heavenly father. But God is God is Father. And this is really important, again, that we understand who God is because we live in a culture, in a world that says a lot of different things about God. Man, some people think that God is the man upstairs. Maybe you've heard that analogy or expression, you know, the man upstairs. But again, the problem is that is a view that God is very distant. God is very far. God is sort of up there and out there somewhere, but he's not a close personal father. Others believe that God is sort of this impersonal force, right? that God is all, that all is God, um, that God's just kind of this, you know, this impersonal force. God is in the trees and God is in the mountains and God is, God is everywhere. And again, the point is that we don't pray to some impersonal force. We pray to a father. We pray to a close, personal, heavenly father who loves his family. He loves his children. And so understanding who God is is really important part of prayer. And the very first thing Jesus instructs his, his followers to know about God is that he is a father, all right? The second word is the word hallowed. Hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means holy, okay? So it's a declaration of the kind of father that God is, okay? That God is a good father, that his ways are good, his ways are right, he is pure, that everything he does is good and holy and just and right. And what that means is that we have a father that we can absolutely trust. We don't have to question his motive. We don't have to wonder what God's up to because God is, he's a good, good father, all right? Again, some different religions, they would have you believe that God is both good and bad or good and evil or that, that, that God is... is um, you know, he's both light and darkness because he's kind of in awe that he's both sort of yin and yang, right? But 
But we don't believe that. According to Scripture, God is completely and totally good all the time, that every good and perfect gift comes from Him, that God is light, the Bible says, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so again, we have a good heavenly Father that we can absolutely trust when we go to Him. The first thing that we know. The next thing, He says, your kingdom come. So the next thing we learn in verse 3 is that our God is a king with a kingdom, okay? That's good news, right? If we're going to have a heavenly father that's our personal heavenly father, it's good to know that, that he's a king. In fact, he's the king of kings. He's over all kingdoms, right? He's got that kind of power. And so when we pray that your kingdom come, it's literally this plea that that, that we're longing for God's kingdom. So maybe you, you've heard God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven. And there can be some confusion around what that is as well. That we hope for God's kingdom one day. God's kingdom is, is good and God's kingdom is pure. There's justice and mercy and grace um, in God's kingdom. And one day, one day God's kingdom will be fully realized, right? We talk about heaven, being with God one day. And we long for that day. We hope for that day. But but here's the thing, in the meantime, uh, we seek to, as John Calvin said, make the invisible kingdom visible, right? That's the goal of the church, that it's our role, it's really our calling as the church to help bring the kingdom of God here to this dark um, and sinful world. The church really should be a glimpse of the coming, the future kingdom of God. And so all of these things that we, we know are going to be a part of the kingdom of God one day, what we want to do is we want to live that out now, right? And so we, we care for the hurting and the poor and the marginalized. We stand for justice. We love people. We forgive our enemies. We do good. Um, we do ministry. We do missions. Why? Well, because our prayer is your kingdom come. Again, as a church, we want to be about bringing God's kingdom here. We want to be a glimpse of the coming kingdom of God here. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, yes, it's a longing for future for one day, but it's also a prayer for the here and the now, that God would work through his people, through his church, to accomplish his purposes, to build his kingdom, all right? Your kingdom come. The next line says, give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread bread, we learn in that line that God, not only is he a father, a good father, a holy father, not only is he a king with a kingdom, but he's also generous. He's also a generous God that he gives to his children. He gives us what we need. Now, to be clear, um, God is not, you know, Santa Claus. We don't sit on his lap and just ask him for all of our wants. He's not a genie in a bottle, right? He's not a cosmic pinata. Um, I heard it, I've heard it said before that God gives us our needs, not our greeds, so to speak. So it's not that we just ask God for all the stuff we want and God's just sort of doling it out to everybody like, again, the, the cosmic, you know, pinata. No, no, no. It's that he's a generous God who gives his children what they need. He gives us what we need. He's not stingy. He doesn't, he doesn't hold back. No, he gives us what we need. And I know for some of us, as we read this prayer, let's be honest, we don't really have a concept of uh, our daily bread, right? Um, most of us don't wake up in the morning wondering if we're going to get to eat anything today. 
most of us know that we're going to get to eat. And if we, if we question that, you know, we're like, well, I can just drive to any fast food restaurant right around the corner and I can get me something to eat, right? We have our daily bread. We've got our daily bread for next week. We've probably got some daily bread for next month if we really want it. And so the idea that we uh, need our daily bread may seem like a bit of a foreign concept, but, you know, back then and, and for much of human history and in a lot of places around the world even today, that's a legitimate request. Waking up going, I don't know if I'm going to get to eat several meals today or not. And there's this dependence that that creates, right? You, you're very much dependent on God to provide, to sustain you, all right? And, and if you're here, listen, you're listening to this like me, you've got, you know, your, your fridge, your freezer, probably another fridge or freezer in another room, a deep freeze out in the garage, right? Like you've got some daily bread stacked up. But I hope, first of all, that you're grateful for that, that you see God as the provider for, of your daily bread. And then again, there's the idea of the kingdom that if you have much, you've got some daily bread um, in excess that, that you can find ways to bless and to share that with others. That's part of bringing and being about the kingdom of God, okay? God is generous. God is a father. He's a good, holy father. Um, he's, a, he's a king with a kingdom. He's generous to his children. And then we get into verse four and he says, and forgive us our sins as uh, for we all ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, okay? So we get into this idea of forgiveness of sins. What's interesting about this verse, Jesus is literally praying this prayer and he's on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to give up his life on a cross to make the forgiveness of sins possible, okay? To make the forgiveness of sins possible. Let me just start by saying this. Uh, kind of a big definition of sin so we all understand what we're talking about, right? Sin includes um, sins of omission and sins of commission, right? Sins of omission are when God tells you something you should do and you choose not to do that. That's a sin of omission. Uh, a sin of commission is when God says, hey, don't do these things and we do them. We commit these sins. That includes our thoughts, right? Because God knows our thoughts. It includes our actions because God knows all of our actions. It includes our motives because God knows our heart and he knows why we do what we do. It includes our speech because God understands and, and sees every word that we utter. And so as you can see, sin is, a, it's pretty, um, it's, it's, it's a big overarching thing, right? Sins of omission, commission, everything you think. Um, and so what that means is all of us are sinners by nature and by choice. We're, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And what he does here in the text is, in this prayer, is he compares uh, our, our sinfulness to indebtedness. We are in debt. Some of you understand debt. You understand financial debt. Some of you are in a lot of financial debt, right? And what that means is, you know, you, you have things that you have to pay for. And so every, every month you get a statement, maybe in the mail, maybe through email. You know, you've got your, your house payment. You've got your electric bill. You've got maybe some student loans, a car payment, credit cards, and whatever it is. And every month you get, you get a statement in the mail that says, this is how much you owe, okay? This is how much debt you have and how much you have to pay right now. So think with me, what would it look like if God sent us a statement every month? What if God sent us a statement every month um, with our sin on there, right? Again, sins of omission, sins of commission, thoughts, speech, actions, all of it. It was just laid out there, hey, this is all your sin this month, and this is how much you owe. Some of you are like, that would be a really big bill, right? That would be a, a long 
bill, right? Now, imagine if that accumulated. So every day, every week, every month, for years, a lifetime, a lifetime. Think about how long and how much debt you would have if every single sin, you were, you're in debt, all of that. I think you would agree. I, all of us would have to agree that that would be an amount we could, we could never repay. It would be an amount we could never, ever repay. And this is why the gospel is such good news. Because again, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to give up his life on the cross. And what he's doing on the cross, he lives this sinless life. And then he goes to a cross to pay our debt. He pays the penalty for our sin because the wage, the payment for sin, the Bible says, is death. And so Jesus goes to a cross and he's taking care of that debt, that statement, all that stuff that we would owe. Jesus, through, through the cross, he, he dies for it all. He pays the penalty that we should have paid. That's why the gospel is such good news. Every sin you've ever committed or you ever will commit, Jesus takes care of it at the cross. That's Again, that's the gospel. That's good news. We don't, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But it's what Jesus does because he's a God that forgives. He's a God that forgives. And he makes it, he makes it possible through the death of his son for forgiveness to be a sure thing. He also ties it to um, our forgiveness of other people. So this is another part of the gospel. Um, the beautiful part of the gospel is that Jesus' death, um, it takes care of the sins we've committed, but it also takes care of the sins that have been committed against us, right? I mean, what happens when you're not the sinner, but you're the one that's been sinned against? You know, you're, you're not the liar, you're the one that's been lied about. You're not the thief, you're the one that's been robbed. You're not the adulterer, you're the one that's been cheated on. We've all committed sin. We've also all been sinned against. And so what Jesus says is, you know, we, we, we seek forgiveness for our sin, but we also then in turn need to forgive those that have wronged and those that have sinned against us. And the, the death of Jesus at the cross makes both of those things possible. It makes it possible for you to be forgiven and for you to forgive others that have wronged you. Now, a lot of people have a real hard time with this. You know, they would say, man, Dave, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what's been said about me. And you're right, I don't. But a lot of us sort of live with this idea that we want our sins forgiven. God, grace and mercy for me. I want my sins forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. But I want them to get what they have coming, right? We want grace and mercy for us. We want justice for everybody else. Jesus says, hey, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You can't, you can't plead for grace and mercy and hope Jesus forgives you, but then want everybody else to just you know, get what they have coming. And so he says, these things are tied together. We want forgiveness, but we also want to forgive other people. And again, this is really, God wants you to forgive other people because God loves you as his child. He doesn't want you to be someone that grows bitter and cold and callous towards other people. Because when you don't forgive, when you hold on uh, to a lack of forgiveness, that's what happens. You grow cold-hearted, you grow bitter over time. And it just eats at you and eats at you. And God loves you too much to, to watch that happen in your life. And so he says, look, you forgive and you're forgiven. And again, some people are just gonna really struggle with this because of their sense of justice. And I, I can tell you this, like forgiveness doesn't mean that like, you forget about it. Some things that happen, you can never forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean, you know, complete reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two people. 
Um, forgiveness just takes one. Forgiveness doesn't mean, you know, pretend it didn't happen. Uh, it doesn't mean you automatically fully trust again. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that forgiveness doesn't mean. But Jesus went to a cross so that you can forgive. And I promise you, man, no one's getting away with anything. When you forgive them, it doesn't mean they're getting away with something. What you're saying when you forgive is that you're going to leave the justice to God. You're going to leave the justice to the perfect judge, and that is God. And so we forgive and we are forgiven. And then the final line of the prayer, Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. And so again, God is a father. He is a good father, a holy father, a perfect father. He is a king with a kingdom. He is a generous God who gives us what we need. He has made a way for us to be forgiven and for us to forgive and all of our debts to be wiped clean. And we also see then that God is a good leader. He leads us and he guides us in the ways that we should go. Some people are really confused by this line because they they assume that that means, wait a minute, so does God lead us into temptation? Do I have to worry that God's going to ever, do I, do I need to pray that because God is going to maybe lead me into harm? And again, we know um, later in the New Testament, the book of James, um, written by Jesus's half-brother, it says that God himself is not tempted and that God himself tempts no one. So it's not that God's going to, going to tempt you. Um, the idea here is, look, we live in a, a broken, fallen, sinful world where, where Satan is constantly trying to attack. Temptation is literally all around us. Temptation is all around you in life. The picture here is of a child uh, grabbing the hand of their father and letting their father lead them. A few years back, uh, my family, I took my family to Disney World. Um, and my, my youngest son, Pax, he was just, uh, just five at the time. And, and I don't know what it is about little kids they always want to be in front, right? They always want to be out front. They, they always want to be first, you know? He came home from kindergarten the other day and was so excited because he got to be first place in line. And that was some kind of reward, I guess. I don't know. But he always wants to be out front. He always wants to be in first place. And so we'd be walking around Disney World and when there wasn't, we were in places where maybe there weren't a ton of people, he would run on ahead and he had to be out in front of everybody. But we always said, look, Pax, you can't get too far out in front, Okay. You've got to stay where we can see you. You've got to be able to see us, okay? So he would stay just as far ahead as he could. What I noticed, though, was when we got into really crowded spaces, I didn't even have to tell him to come back. Um, when we got around really uh, full crowds where he was worried that he might get lost or he wouldn't be able to see us, he would come back and he would just grab onto my hand or to his mama's hand. He would just grab their hand. And it was such an act of trust. There was no question in his mind, like, is my parent going to lead me into harm? Are they going to lead me into danger? He just knew when he grabbed our hand, he was basically saying, look, you see things that I don't see and you know things I don't know. And there was just this act of trust where he would hold on to our hand and just trust that we were going to guide him through the craziness that is Disney World, right? And I thought about that this week as I was reading this Lord's Prayer in a lot of ways, man, that's what prayer is. Prayer is God's children grabbing the hand of their heavenly father. It's us saying, 
God, you, you see things I don't see and you know things I don't know. And rather than be stressed out and anxious and worried, I'm just going to grab the hand of my heavenly father and I'm going to trust him to lead me and guide me and navigate these waters. Man, in a lot of ways, that's, that's essentially what prayer is, us connecting to grabbing the hand of our heavenly father. All right. So again, it seems to me that according to Jesus, the focus as he's teaching his disciples is, is less about prayer itself the kinds of prayer, the times of prayer, the type. I mean, it seems to be the focus is more about knowing who God is and connecting to God. And I think when we do that, that prayer will become a much more natural part of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for um, just the opportunity that we have to to come before you in prayer and to, to talk to you. God, um, the fact that we, that we can do that, that we don't have to go through someone else, God, that, that we can go directly to you is such a joy and it's such a blessing. And we're grateful for that. And Father, I pray that you would, um, God, remind us that prayer is not about the act itself, but prayer ultimately is about us just, just talking, just communing with our heavenly Father who is really, really good, who is trustworthy, who is a king, who forgives and leads us well. And I pray that, God, we would long for that, that, God, we would delight in you as you delight in us. And, God, that would enrich our, our lives of prayer and communion with you. God, we ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.